following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. I kind of don't want to start this morning. I don't want to start because it means this the end. We have come to the end of Second Timothy. It would be all right. I don't know what to do next week. We've come to the end of uh, Paul's writings. Uh, we're going to look at Second Timothy chapter four, verses nine through twenty-two. That's page nine nine six in the Pew Bibles. Um. So for almost the last seven years, we have walked with Paul. That's, you're laughing. I don't know why. It's a fact. Uh, we have walked with Paul in the early church um, as it grew out of its Jewish legalism, um, as it grew in its understanding of the gospel and its implications. We have talked, we have walked with them as they were instructed in how the church is to participate in God's mission for the church, what God designed the church for, for advancing the gospel in this world as we look forward to the next. And finally, we have stood with Paul and those who would come after him to continue the work of advancing the gospel and shepherding the church throughout the ages. And now we come to the last recorded words of Paul. In the midst of seemingly um, innocuous instructions and greetings, we can see that at the last, at the extremity of his days, Paul's trust was firmly placed in the Lord. So let's look at uh, verse 9 through 22, and then we pray together. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have left in Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me, bring me safely into his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. <clears throat> Eubulus sends his greetings, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father,
Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you we can gather together as a family freely to study it, talk about it, and consider its implications on our lives. We pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would show us how we are to live in this present age as we await for your return. God, may you be glorified by your word and the diligence of your children this morning to study it. We give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I don't uh, mean to sound down this morning, but if I get goofy, start laughing, I'll start coughing, and you don't need that. So I don't want to lull you to sleep either. So that's it. that was the diligence part on your behalf I was praying for. <clears throat> <clears throat> So it's important to keep in mind when looking at portions of Scripture such as this that we're not looking for secret hidden wisdom. There are no codes hiding here in this list of names. Uh, we are simply looking to make sense of the wisdom that is there. And that's our task today. We don't usually have to look real hard. It sits right on the surface. We tend to overthink it. Paul's desire, as we read in verse 9, is for Timothy to come to him soon. He will repeat this desire later in verse 21. Do your best to come before winter. Paul also asked Timothy to get his cloak and the books and the parchments that were left with a man named Carpus at Troas, or Troy, which meant that he wouldn't, that meant that Timothy would not sail from Ephesus to Rome. Uh, he would have to go inland. Um, and take a much longer route. There was still sailing involved, which makes sense. I uh, will see later, but it's not the most direct route. Isn't that interesting? Secret hidden wisdom right there, right? Don't go sailing, Timothy. So, therefore, if you have a boat, you should get rid of it. Thus saith the Lord, right? That's what I mean. We're not looking for... You could park it in my yard. It's all right. It's fine. It's fine. That's what I mean. We're not looking for secret codes here. In either case, there would be some sailing, whether he went directly from Ephesus to Rome or he went inland. And sailing was not done in the winter in the Mediterranean and the Adriatic Sea. There are too many storms and too rough a seas. Um, you can read in the book of Acts that they wintered uh, when they were sailing. They would stop someplace and spend the winter because they did not sail. The winds blew in the wrong direction. So if Timothy took too long in getting started on his trip, uh, it would be too late uh, for him, uh, potentially too late for Timothy to see Paul if he waited until winter. And I don't want to get bogged down in the minutiae here and do a word study on and all these names and, and, and anything, but I want to focus on how the Lord shows himself to be Paul's guard and aid and proves worthy of Paul's trust, and also worthy of our trust as our guard and aid. And this is our, seeing as this is our last sermon in Paul's letters, it seems fitting to make it a three-point sermon. So there are three ways that we can examine, that we can see how the Lord proves himself as Paul's guard and aid and our guard and aid. And the first way that he does that, the Lord proves himself as our guard and aid, is that he stays when others leave. Paul says in verse 10, 
Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now the scholars are undecided if this man Demas is the Demetrius uh, that shows up elsewhere in Scripture. But I'll tell you a little secret, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Not for our discussion today. There are plenty of other times to talk about stuff like that. What we do know is that Demas was one of the types of believers um, that Jesus referred to as seed sown among the thorns. And the thorns grew up, and it choked out the seed, and it yielded no grain. Jesus described those thorns as the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. That's Demas. Good thing he's the only one that's ever done that. So, yeah. Demas traded in fruitful, eternal ministry for the temporary comforts of this world. Wealth is deceitful, but it's only deceitful in that it promises to provide comfort in this life. But that's it. It has no uh, comfort in the life to come, which is what Paul's focus was uh, at this point in his life and ministry. And we would do well to keep an eye on it as well. Wealth promises nothing for the life to come. And Demas's failure was that he loved the present world and the comforts here, while Paul was looking forward to a future world and the comforts there, like we talked about last week. Well, Demas wasn't the only one who had left Paul, though he was the only one, I guess, the mentioned here at least, that left without Paul's blessing. He didn't think it was a good idea that he left. But these other people, he did. Paul sent off uh, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Tychicus he sent to Ephesus to replace Timothy when Timothy left to come to Rome to see Paul. And only Luke was left in the Mamertine prison, uh, that old cistern where Paul was awaiting his final trial. It says in verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Now, these guys that are listed here were not the only believers in Rome. There wasn't four or five guys, and that's it. They were just a small parts. The church there was actually quite a large group. But when Paul stood a trial... None of them showed up to stand by them, by him, which was his legal right to have friends stand up with him and testify on his behalf. But none of them did. That's why Paul doesn't condemn them, but rather prays for their forgiveness. It's because they were just scared. They're not wicked or uh, try to do him harm that way. They were just afraid of the ramifications of standing up with this man who has turned the whole Roman uh, Empire upside down. What happens to us? We stand up with him. Boy, now we're going to get labeled, right? People are going to talk. They're going to say stuff about us, and then they won't look at us the same way anymore. Gracious me, what a horrible fate. Doesn't sound familiar at all to us, does it? Hmm. 
It wasn't malice that made them desert Paul. It was weakness, weakness of the flesh. They caved to social pressure and fear. I'm glad it ended with them. (laughs) May it not be charged to us either. But here's the point of verse 17. Though everyone deserted him, he says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul had been given a very specific mission, right? To be a light to the Gentiles and to testify before the kings, before kings and governors. And that's exactly what he did. But he could only do that because the Lord stood by him and strengthened him. I don't find it ironic at all that Mr. Aaron mentioned this morning how sometimes we try to do things in our own strength. I say sometimes, but what I mean is like every single time we try to do anything at all, right? Hmm. The Lord proved himself as our guard and aid when he stood with Paul and everyone else left him. The truth of the matter is people will let you down. Guaranteed. Give, give it time. They will. And I don't say that to be, if, uh, I don't know, bad. Uh, but people will. They're people. But the Lord Jesus never will. He didn't desert Paul. He stood by him. And he will stand by us, though we stand alone. We're never alone. We are never alone. The Lord also proved himself as our guard and aid by protecting Paul when others opposed him and his message. Sometimes the desertion uh, is easier than opposition. But the Lord still proves himself to be our guard and aid when stand with us when others opposed us and our message. Verse 14 describes Alexander the coppersmith. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, Paul says. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Paul had written earlier to the believers in Rome, in Romans twelve nineteen, He said, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord is the righteous judge of the living and the dead. He is the one who will avenge and repay wrongdoing. But it's important to point out the wrongdoing that Alexander did so that we don't get caught up in uh, what other slights our neighbors might uh, do to us when we think about the Lord's vengeance. Scared my cat. May the Lord repay him for that. No, no. Come on. Get over it. Hmm. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Now, Alexander, he didn't just break rule number one and act like a jerk. That's, that's not it. He didn't say rude and disrespectful things on social media. So don't look for a lot of vengeance from the Lord when that happens to you. 
Alexander strongly opposed the message of the gospel, the freedom that is available through faith in Christ, freedom from sin and death in the grave. We don't know much about Alexander, and it's a very common name, so it's impossible to really connect him to any other... Um, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. It's, it's uh, impossible to connect him really to anything else or any other part of Scripture. But let's just say that getting mentioned in Scripture for opposing the message of the gospel is, should not go on the top of your resume. It's not really a good... It's actually a pretty lousy thing to be known for. But there's always going to be adversaries of the gospel until the Lord returns. There are always going to be those that oppose the message of salvation through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it may not be easy, but the Lord will deal with those opponents in his own way and in his own time. We must be wise with dealing with them ourselves in ways that bring glory to God and not just cheap shots and zingers. You remember the uh, one of my favorite disciples moments when uh, there were people that didn't fall into line with Jesus and the disciples and the disciples say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on those guys? What? No. <laughs> that's, but that's what we want, right? When the people stand opposed to us really in any way at all, we just want them to explode and, and go away. No. This comes down to a basic problem in our thinking is that people are our enemy. They're not. Even the people who stand opposed to the gospel message... They're not our enemy. They're being used by our enemy. They're captives. And they don't know. They don't know any difference. So you pray for them, that God would rescue them. The gates of hell will not be able to withstand their escape. The Lord proved himself our guard and aid by standing with Paul when all others left him, by protecting him when others opposed and maligned him. and by redeeming him when others killed him. Look at verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Rescued me from the lion's mouth. Rescued me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. This last point that the Lord proved himself as our garden aid by redeeming Paul when others killed him only makes sense if you understand Paul's greatest fear. I'm willing to bet it doesn't line up with our greatest fear. It's not the same. When Paul said he was rescued from the lion's mouth, now what do you think of? Gladiators, Colosseum, fight a lion, lose, 
die. Eat, right? Eat by a giant cat. That is among my worst fears. <laughs> but the cat's not very big. Just, yeah. I have some good news for you to educate your imagination. First of all, the Colosseum hadn't been built yet. So there's that. Second of all, it was illegal to execute a Roman citizen such as Paul by feeding them to wild animals. The only, um, the only legal way to behead a Roman citizen, of course you were wondering this when you got here this morning, the only legal way to execute a Roman citizen is by beheading. Not feed them to animals. Not hang them on a tree. So what is the lion? The lion that Paul was talking about is the devil. As he written in 1 Peter 5, 9, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Warren Wiersbe, the pastor's pastor who just passed away in the last few weeks, said Paul's greatest fear was not death. It was that he might deny his Lord or do something else that would disgrace God's name. Does that sound like your greatest fear? I'm still at the eating, being eaten by a cat thing. Our greatest fear is death, isn't it? But where, where then is our hope? Don't be like Demas. That don't hope in this world. This, this world can offer you nothing. It's the next world is where our hope lies. Amen. When he was rescued from the lion's mouth, he escaped the schemes of the devil and his, with his testimony intact. His hope was not to escape death, but to escape defeat by Satan, by giving in to fear or to pressure or to compromise the full message of the gospel. May our fears fall into line. Paul truly did finish the race. He truly did keep the faith, as he said, we read last week. He had no fear in the face of death because he knew his departure from this life was just the beginning of the next in God's eternal kingdom. The Lord proves himself to be our guard and aid by redeeming us when others kill us. The Lord can redeem his children through death if he does not redeem them from death. As Hubner wrote, the final redemption of the godly is not here. It is there. If our hope is for this life only, we are among all mankind to be the most pitied. And after some personal greetings, the great apostle closes his final letter with a most wonderful blessing. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Now, because we read English, we read this pretty much as one sentence, right? Right? 
There is a period there, but... The Lord be with your spirit was written just for Timothy. All the tenses are singular. The Lord be with your spirit, singular. What a great blessing to ask for his young friend. As Matthew Henry wrote, we need no more to make us happy than to have the Lord Jesus Christ with our spirits. For in him all spiritual blessings are summed up. And it is the best prayer we can put up for our friends that the Lord Jesus Christ may be with their spirits to sanctify and save them and at last to receive them to himself. The Lord be with your spirit was just for Timothy. But I think we can still pray that for our friends. The grace be with you, that was for us. The you is plural, which in the modern translation, grace be with y'all. Use, use guys. Yeah? Yunts? I don't know. Yunts. I am not from Pennsylvania. I think uh, grace be with you guys is uh, it's a fairly accurate translation. Grace be with you guys. Grace be with all of you who read this letter. Paul's expectation was this not stop with Timothy. Right? But he passed it on so other people can gain this wisdom. And that passed on and passed on and passed on. God preserved his word from this day. Paul wrote it or, or uh, dictated as Luke wrote it. And it made it all the way to us. God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, has preserved his word as it was ori- originally given. What a blessed miracle that is. And so, because of God's miraculous work in preserving His Word, we get to read this. Paul wrote this to us. The Holy Spirit wrote this through Paul's mouth to Luke's hand and the pen and the parchment thousand, two thousand years later to us. Here we are. And it came out through Microsoft Word. (laughs) Grace be with us. It was Paul's prayer. Matthew Henry also wrote, And if grace be with us here to convert and change us, to make us holy, to keep us humble, and to enable us to persevere to the end, glory will crown us hereafter. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. May God's blessing be on us as we trust in him. Trust in him who has proved himself to be our guard and aid. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful for your hand at work. We're so grateful for your words preserved and for your spirit that drives them deep into our hearts. We pray again, Lord, that you would mold us and change us by your word, by the power of your spirit, to make us more like your son. We thank you for these words this morning. They were not cast-offs, not throw-away greeting, but important, the word of God. So, Lord, I pray that we would be different as a result of being in your word this morning. 
We love you. May your grace continue to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.